0: We get a lot of people that say you know nobody could handle my cat and then they come in here and it's like well wait get the gloves get drugs whatever it's like no we're fine let's go <laughs> cats okay <laughs> and so that's i think what brings the majority of them in more so than thinking that it's a specialty
1: Welcome to the Sawyer Vet Now What, the podcast. This is a show that serves as your audio mentor in your journey as a veterinarian. And each week, our awesome host, Dr. Mariah McCauley, will be bringing you insightful, short-form interviews with happy, successful vets who are eager to share their career and clinical tips to make your life easier. So whether you're a final year vet student or a recent graduate, this podcast is your trusted companion on the pathway to success in veterinary medicine. Over to you, Mo.
2: Well, Dr. Gary Marshall, welcome to the show. I'm really looking forward to what we're going to chat about today because you are in a, I guess I would call it a species specific clinic. Would you say that? Yeah,
0: yeah. We just do one, just cats. And it's it's great to be here, Mo. So excited to talk with you.
2: I am excited to kind of dive a little bit more into what does it mean to be a species-specific clinic? How do you get started in a species-specific clinic? Why would you be in a species-specific clinic? All of those questions is what we're going to dive into today. So since our time is limited, why don't you tell us a little bit? So you're in a feline-only clinic, so you only do cats. What is it about that clinic that you would say sets it apart from other general practices that do dogs and cats?
0: Well, I'm in the clinic now, and can you hear that? There's no barking dogs. (laughs) It's pretty exciting. For people that come in here, and I've been doing, I've been just in this clinic for over a quarter of a century, and so um, I'm kind of used to it and don't know the difference too much. But when people come in here, students, other colleagues come in, it's like, it's just chill and quiet. And I think that's the biggest thing that people would notice because it sort of has to be to accomplish what we want to, because if we, Try to do everything hurried and quick and that kind of stuff. It just backfires and it ends up taking longer and everybody's stressed out. So that would be it chill and quiet.
2: Nice, normal, kind of like very different from, yeah, I would think about my day to day in a dog and cat general practice. Even yesterday, one of my patients was howling and howling for a little while despite medication. So we tried to get him home as soon as possible. But that is something that I am not used to. It's just a peace and quiet type of clinic. So that would certainly be a big one to think about. What other things would you think about that separate it from a dog and cat general practice? Do you feel like you lost some of the skills of working with dogs? Or do you find that there's pretty good crossover?
0: oh, I know I've lost a lot, but I've also gained a lot in just the subtleties of cats and just being able to focus on that one species. I think most typical general practices, companion animal are going to see, you know, probably 75% dogs and 25% cats. And so that species is kind of an afterthought in a lot of places. It's like, we're going to focus on the dogs. They're the ones that command all the attention. And the cats are kind of like, well, what do we need to do with them? Because it wants to kill me. So let's just do it and get it out of here. And here, that's not the case at all. We're really focusing on trying to make it the best for each patient and you know, dial a lot deeper in to figure out what's going on with them.
2: And what about the clientele? Is there anything that you find, like what draws cat owners to a sp- like a cat only clinic compared to going to a dog and cat clinic, do you think?
0: I think a lot of the same things as far as when they're, you know, if it's a traditional type clinic, some are now are separating out the cats and the dogs in different spaces, which is great. But in the traditional one, I think it is, it's like, I don't want to have my cat in a carrier with, you know, a dog just kind of sniffing at him and checking him out in the waiting room while I'm waiting and all the smells and the sounds. We get a lot of People that say, you know, m- nobody could handle my cat and then they come in here and it's like, well, wait, get the gloves, get drugs, whatever. It's like, no, we're fine. It's go. <laughs> Cats okay. <laughs> and so that's, I think, what brings the majority of them in more so than thinking that it's a specialty, the medicine part of it, that that's all we do is more like what's going to be easier on my cat.
2: No, that's really cool. You're able to create that environment that is tailored to that individual species, because as we know, cats are not small dogs. And so it's almost fitting that we do have almost, like you said, it's not a specialty, but it's a clinic that's tailored to them. So then let's let's look into your history. Like you said, you've been in this for nearly over a quarter of a century. How did you get started in species-specific feline-only clinics?
0: Yeah, it really wasn't about the cat specifically, and those things that we've already talked about and trying to cater to that, it was starting a second clinic, just sort of branching out because as a baby boomer, that's what we were told to do is just to get a clinic, start another clinic, 80 hours a week till you die. So that's, thankfully that that mentality has changed a lot, but in starting a second clinic with a one-year-old and a three-year-old in a really expensive city, I couldn't buy property, I couldn't you know, build a clinic, I couldn't really afford to buy somebody else's practice at that time. So I was just kind of starting it up and to start one up, you need less space, you need less staff, you need less inventory, So and let's just do cats. And most people like their vets, and so maybe if we're a little bit different, people that are already going to another vet that they like might come here if it's close by because we're just cats. So that was the mindset at the time.
2: Okay. And was there any other big whys that you really focused in on like a cat only versus a dog only clinic?
0: Uh, I don't. Have you ever seen a dog only clinic? I no. haven't. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Maybe New idea. Yeah. <laughs> that won't be me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think really that was it. it. I honestly wasn't like, we need to make a better place for cats. We did have other cat clinics in Seattle at the time. I know there are some even more major cities that have very few cat-only clinics at all. And so I'd seen it done and and talked to people and it seemed like it was doable and thought that seems like a better way to do a second clinic than reinventing the same thing that I already had five miles away.
2: No, that all makes sense. So then the next question would be, if you are talking to a new graduate or someone who's just about to graduate, what would you say to them to kind of help them figure out that pathway of how do you start into a a feline only clinic or what are the questions that they should consider if they're thinking about it?
0: That's a really good question because that is important. And I think it's just get exposure to one and just see if this is like, is this like totally boring? Or am I just totally scared the whole time? Or does it just seem like it fits for me? And I like the pace. I like the culture, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, let's be honest, cat people are kind of weird.
2: <laughs> and so
0: just saying, you know, this is going to be a cat clinic. They're not all the same. I mean, just like any clinic. So they're all going to be different. So you do need to get exposure to them and see, is that something I want to do? Is that something I could see my career unfolding to? And I think an important part of that is, like we talked about, they are not a whole lot of them. And if you start down that path, I lost the other stuff. <laughs> Very quickly. There's no way I would feel very comfortable going back into a general practice right now. And so you have to think about that. If I relocate, if my partner wants to go someplace else, am I going to be able to transfer what I've been building in this particular clinic that I want to get into, or I'm into, into another community? What is the landscape like there? Or do I have to start my own?
2: No, those are really important questions. And I know you've had a number of of veterinary students come through your practice. So what are some of their responses, like from when they started the externship to how did their thoughts about feline-only practice change to the end?
0: That's probably kind of a two-parter because I think we get two subsets of students that come in, some that are just like, cats 24 seven. That's it. That's all I want to touch. I don't know why I did all this dog and horse and cow stuff, because that's all I want to do is cats. And then there's another group that is like, I am petrified of cats and I need more experience with them. And so I want to just focus on that part of it. To be honest, I enjoy that type of student more because there's just so much more growth, even in a short period of time, whether they're here for a week or whether they're here for a month. And that's kind of, I think, My main goal going forward is to have super, super passionate, competent feline practitioners in general practices, because it just takes one in a bigger setting that can mentor and guide and help the rest of the staff that hasn't been in that situation, be a little bit more focused on how the little things that they can change that can make a huge difference for cats, to their clients, and frankly, to the bottom line, as far as if they're going to attract more cats, the sky's the limit on that because they're not attracting as many now as they could.
2: Yeah, there's going to be that awesome knock-on effect. And so that also makes me ask the question of, would you have current general practitioners who want to become more feline-friendly in their handling and in their practices, would you have them come and shadow with you?
0: Yes, or vice versa, or bring a cat practitioner into your clinic to hang out with you and your staff for a few days. But yes... I think seeing a good functioning feline practice in and of itself to see what can be done. And then that makes each of those practitioners think through their own facility to say, what if we did this? What if we made just one cat only afternoon, whatever it is. And then they can start thinking what will work for their particular situation because they're all different.
2: Yeah. Just because you see general practices doing it the same way all the time doesn't mean you can't change it up. And I was just listening, as you said, uh, maybe making like a cat-only afternoon, or how to bringing in a feline practitioner for a few days. Those are things that. I never really thought about doing, but I can see the positive impact that it has on your staff because they're more confident handling these now, these otherwise scary cats. Your clients are gonna be happier knowing that their cat is well cared for and thus you're gonna bring in more cat clients to your practice. So again, huge knock-on effect. And I love how we kind of transitioned from what could you do when you graduate from vet school? Oh, you could go into a feline practice, but That's one option. The other option is that you just say, hey, even though I'm going into a dog and cat only practice, why don't I get a little bit more experience in a feline only practice, maybe by doing externships, maybe by just shadowing your local feline only practice. There are so many different pathways that you can take. And that's part of the reason I love this profession. And even so, even though you said you feel like you've lost a lot of that skill of working with um, canine patients, the beauty is that if you wanted to, you could just pivot,
0: <laughs> and I, I do. We, I volunteer at a access to care clinic where a lot of pit bulls, a lot of chihuahuas, and uh, you know we get it done
2: for sure. Well, thank you so much, Gary, for joining me today. Hopefully this provided some good information for the next generation of veterinarians. But if you guys want to listen to more episodes of So You're a Vet Now What, you can listen to them on the VedX website or through any major podcasting platform. But until next time, y'all, we'll say see ya.
1: So that's it for another show. Thank you so much to Dr. Mariah and her guests for today's tips. And if you're interested in learning more about what we do to support early stage vets in their careers, then check out my book, Sorry Vet Now What, or non-clinical skills training class of the same name. Until next time, take care.